0: From the National Urban League, this is For the Movement, a podcast that discusses persistent policy, social and civil rights issues affecting communities of color. I'm Don Cravens, Jr., Senior Vice President of Policy and Executive Director for the Washington Bureau.
1: And I'm Tony Wiley, Director of Advocacy for the National Urban League.
0: On this week's episode, we have a very special treat as we celebrate the life and times of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We're being visited by Mr. Sterling Tucker, a living legend in the National Urban League movement. Tony, I got an opportunity to spend some time with uh, Mr. Sterling Tucker, who, as I said, joined the Urban League in 1945. Wow. And uh, Mr. Tucker is 95 years young. And uh, you will hear on this interview that he really talks about the Urban League almost from its infancy until its present. And, And what I found to be the most interesting was as he progressed in his life, like, like us, like all of us, he had, the Urban League meant different things to him. Right. And he was part of it during such a crucial time in our nation's history, during the 40s, during the 60s, during the 70s and 80s. And uh, he's been in retirement, but he is still, you'll hear, very vibrant and still very much informed. But it was just a highlight of, one of the highlights of my time at the Urban League, getting an opportunity to speak to him. I mentioned okay. to you, I thought a lot about you and, and our young professionals. In the interview, because you'll hear a lot of it is when he's young. He talks about how he felt the urban league should be doing more right. and pushing more. And you and I have that discussion often. That we we it, it's a movement. We got to keep moving it.
1: Correct. And um, we often miss that Dr. King, as well as Mr. Tucker, as well as Whitney. They were what we would consider young professionals.
0: Yes, today. yes. At that time in their life, right? We forget that they were in their 30s. And and right, we see them as. They, they they looked older, right? I Maybe mean, it's the black and white photos, but you're right. These men were these these men were young men and young women. He'll, you'll, you'll hear Mr. Tucker talk about Miss Sonoria Johnson, who was the first executive director of even the Washington bureau. This she was a young woman at that time,
1: right? Um, I think it's really important that the young people in our movement um, hear this, because some of the things that we talk about that we have before and after conference, during lunch, you know, those conversations, you'll hear a lot of that in uh, Mr. Tucker's um, interview. Um, But one of the things that I really like, we... um, you know, idealize and glamorize our leaders, um, but they are human also. Right. And I love to hear the human story behind the movement. You know, how did they blow off steam? Right. Um, you know, who who was the jokester amongst them? Because um, these were young people who had families. Yes. Um, they also had a lot of responsibility and pressure, pressure of a whole nation on them. Yes. So um, I'm really excited to hear that. And this is a great thing to hear during this um, Martin Luther King week that we we will be commemorating
0: He, uh, I asked him about Dr. King who he knew well and he says Dr. King had such a great personality and a great sense of humor hmm. um, said he was a very serious man but had a great sense of humor I asked him about uh, Mr. Young, Whitney Young, and he. I said, "What type of gentleman was Mr. Young?" He said, "That is exactly what he was. He was just a, a consummate gen- gentleman." So, he he does share some very good stories that I think you and the and the listeners are going to enjoy about how they blew off steam after the event. And there's one story in there about his daughter, his young child. Um, when he was giving up hope or just tired,
2: mm-hmm.
0: he said he went home one night and he was very exhausted. They'd been planning the march on Washington, and he was—he was, he was just—he said it was very tired. It was a lot of work, mm-hmm. and his little child—I don't remember if it was a daughter or son—was humming "We Shall Overcome." Wow. And that's what gave him the drive to keep pushing. So it's great interview. Uh, and I just want to thank Mister Tucker for his time. And like I said, he's ninety five years young, and was has always been willing to continue supporting the Urban League. And you are going to hear about his, his successful pathway from an affiliate, a, a young professional in, in nineteen forty five, to an actual executive director or president of an of an affiliate, and then retired as the president of the Washington Urban League, our our, our local affiliate here. But it was just part of so much of the history. So I am excited. Um, I don't want to give it all away. I want to tell you more about it, but I don't want to give it all away because I want people to listen. So I hope people will have an opportunity. We, we we try to focus on pending current issues every week, but we're going to ask our listeners this week to let us do a little history right. as we celebrate the, the life and times of Dr. Martin Luther King and the legacy. And we thought fitting for us was to talk to Mr. Tucker, a living legend in the Urban League movement. Yeah. And then, Tony, you've got a great Episode coming up after in the in the following week, right?
1: Yes, we're going to talk about um, as I said before human trafficking and its impact in our community, and how to get um, more resources to people of color in this area. And um, what you'll learn is that a lot of research is going on in this er- in this area, but it's not necessarily reaching our community. And our community is, of course, dis disparately um, impacted by it. So we are going to hear some um, words and some. Um, some very interesting statistics from someone who's actually a survivor of human wow. trafficking.
0: And, and you know what you've educated me just the, the couple of weeks we've been talking about it. We hear sex trafficking all the time. And you've been very, very clear that it's not always just sex trafficking. It's human trafficking. Right. There are a lot of different ways that these women are being abducted and abused and used. Um, and we need to think about it in a holistic view, not just one, one, that one Um, term define what's happening
1: right and it's not just our women it's also men men are being sex trafficked as well as trafficked for labor and domestic work as well so um, it's going to be a really interesting conversation hopefully it won't be the end uh, of that conversation
0: well I want to thank you for your leadership on that issue and we are definitely looking forward to next week's episode to hear more about that well stay tuned we'll be right back with Mr. Sterling Tucker Mm -hmm. Mr. Tucker, you are a living legend, and you have been around the Urban League movement for, for many, many decades, and so thank you so much for being on our program. I, I want to talk to you about how did you come to be an Urban Leaguer? When, when was the first time you got involved with the Urban League?
2: Well, I, uh, uh, you know, I used to say once an Urban Leaguer and always an Urban Leaguer. Yes, sir. Well, I was always an Urban Leaguer. I grew up in Urban League uh, from Akron, Ohio, as a young student, I worked as a volunteer in the Urban League, and back in those days, we put a lot of pressure on the Urban League to become more aggressive too. Yes, sir. Uh, we had a, we had a group of young college-age students who uh, loved the Urban League, but we felt it wasn't aggressive enough.
0: Right. And, 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 uh, and before that time, Mister Tucker, what what was the Urban League? Why did it need to? Why was there a need or a feel of a need that it maybe needed to be a little bit more
3: aggressive?
2: Well, it was uh as I matured, I understood the role of the urban league even better, but I was a young college student who was anxious, let's get this done right now, <laughs> right? We got all these issues out here, let's uh let's don't do this and let's do not slow walk the issues, you know. Yes, sir. And I I was sir. I, I was in a hurry. I was a young man in a hurry.
0: Well, a lot, it's funny you talk about that, Mr. Tucker, because I'm, I'm in my 40s now, and I remember being a young man in a hurry. And, w- and when I meet with young people to today and say the same thing yes. that you said and that I said, the Urban League needs to be doing more, and the NAACP, yes. or I, I, yes. I sometimes tell our young brothers and sisters, I, I understand why you feel that way, because we've uh-huh. all felt that way at some point in our life.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right.
0: Well, Mr. Tucker, in, been... in, in the 1940s, you are in Akron, Ohio, and you will begin your Urban League career... With the Akron affiliate in 1945, and so this was your opportunity as a young man to actually get into it. And so, talk to us a little bit about Akron, the Akron affiliate in 1945. What was going on back then?
2: Well, we had a uh, an executive whom I admired very much, uh, and uh, his last name was Thompson. It's been many, many years ago now, so I don't remember it all, but. Uh, there was a young group of college students at the University of Akron who, uh, we loved the Urban League, what it stood for. Yes, sir. And we, lo- we loved this basic philosophy and basic approach. But we thought it was moving too slowly, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, we were impatient. <laughs> and I remember uh, the George Thompson was the name of the Akron executive at that time. And he appreciated what we were doing. Um, and amazingly, uh, he was appreciative of what we were doing. But we felt that he did, we didn't understood we didn't understand the times and how you had to work these issues. You know.
3: Yes, sir.
0: And what were some of the issues, Mr. Tucker, that when you said the young people felt the Urban League wasn't moving fast enough, on what issues was it voting? Well, was
2: it? They, they were pretty much the same issues as before. Mainly with jobs, okay. housing, uh, training, those ki- education, those kind of opportunities, we felt the Urban League was not impatient enough, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, so we, at a group of young college students at the University of Akron, that we approached George Thompson, who was Urban League executive and uh, i remember he was almost on his dying bed invited us to the hospital to talk to him uh we explained what our concerns about the urban league we loved the urban league and what it stood for right and it was uh it was the only organization that had uh a uh, stability in the community we had an NAACP but it was kind of erratic no we, no steady membership, no steady source of income, not very good organization at that time in the local branches, branch you know, and uh, but in the Urban League it had a staff, it had a strong board, it had a strong philosophy, and it seemed like the right organization at the right time, but needed not be it was slow walking the issues.
3: Yes, of. sir.
0: And, and at that time, I know in 1952, Mr. Tucker, you were then granted leave to serve as the field secretary in the National Urban League's Department of Industrial Relations.
2: That's right. you got all that information. Yes, huh? sir.
0: Yes, sir. I've got your bio here. So talk to us about what was the Industrial Relations Department of the National Urban League? What, what were they responsible
2: for? Well, it was mainly to job creation, jobs and training mainly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the purpose of it was to... Uh, Work on with industry and labor and uh, training institutions and universities uh, to create training and job opportunities. That was the industrial relations department. We were primarily from urban league means cities, so we were urban cities where there were industries. okay. And, uh, and that's why it was called the industrial relations. Huh?
0: And you were re- you and and so the different cities were getting together to create a program for the league, the national league, so that the I guess so all of the affiliates could learn or follow a model on how to do it.
2: Well, well, we had a the um, Urban League has always been an organization with a with a strong philosophical base and and sound organizational structure. That was a kind of a um, one of the things that made the Urban League uh, interesting because it had the ability to follow through, you know, right. to plan, to work with training, to follow through, and uh, to reach out in all kinds of directions. So it was a good organization in that regard to, uh, to work with and to be with, but we felt it needed to be uh, more aggressive.
3: Yes,
0: sir. And so I know, Mr. Tucker, from 1953 to 1956, you were also the executive director of the Canton Urban League. You spent some time there. Yes. A- and then we ended up, We, we you got to Washington, D.C. In 1956, you accepted a new position as the executive director of the Washington Urban League, where you stayed until 1974. Let's talk yeah, let about t- your time.
2: Yeah, well, let me tell you how I got here. I was in, uh, I was uh I was kind of considered back in those days a kind of a fair haired boy in the <laughs> urban league. I was young and aggressive and uh and the older guys kind of resented me, but uh, Lester Granger, who' head the that urban league, kind of respected what we were trying to accomplish, even though we were pushing him you know to do more
0: right in,
2: in the urban league and uh I was in uh um, in, in akron at the time and i was invited by the washington urban league lyle carter was the executive of the washington urban league and uh... and i was invited to come to washington urban league uh... to uh... uh because there was a vacancy lyle was leaving lyle was a lawyer who had been a lawyer out of new york his mother was very active in new york politics and uh, and Lyle was not basically a lawyer. He, I mean, Urban League, he was in law practice. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, but but came to the Urban League, Washington Urban League, at a time when it was uh, in between executives. And so, I was invited to the uh, Washington to uh, be interviewed to be the executive. And I met with Lyle. At us home for dinner the night before I meet with the board. And what Lyle said to me was, look, he says that my background basically is as a lawyer. And I'm not, a, don't have the common urban league, traditional urban league background. And he said, I think I've carried the urban league as far as I can carry it. Mm-hmm. And I said to the board that I think what you ought to do is to try to identify an executive, someone, who was a kind of career Urban League person, who had that kind of a background and continuity with the Urban League movement? Yes, sir. And so I met with Lyle that night at dinner with his family, and I met with the board the next day. And uh, I remember meeting with the board and the personnel committee in the morning, and uh, and then I went to lunch with a friend. From Akron, who happened to be living in Washington at the time, and the board called me at the time to offer me the position before we were having lunch. (laughs) And uh, I said, Wait a minute, I gotta get back. I just came, you know, to listen to an offer. Yes, sir. to, To talk about it, and I got to go talk to my family about it. Yes,
3: sir. Yes, sir.
2: But they wanted me to say yes right then. What I found out was that they had been talking it intensely promised a job to some bum from Pittsburgh <laughs> but my interview with him caused him to uh change his mind
0: yes sir and the rest is and, history and you were uh, <laughs> the rest
2: is history that's right
0: and you're still in washington to this day
2: and still here yes indeed Yes, great sir. place to be
0: yes sir mr mr tucker when you got to the washington urban league what what what, what was the st- what was washington dc like Um, from an Urban League perspective when you got there in the 1950s?
2: Well, there was no stability in the Urban League. Uh, The executives uh, were not Urban League... uh, With Urban League experience, they were people... Washington, you know, has always had lots of people well-trained in lots of things. Yes, sir. And so this position kind of passed from one to the other Every couple of years, you know, they change. Most of them are looking for a position in the federal government. At that time, the best job you could have in Washington was to get a position with the federal government. Okay. That, that's the way people, you know, many people saw it. And uh, so they had no career person. And so that was one reason I was asked to come because I had a career background in the urban league.
0: Right, right.
2: And, and- uh,
0: and while you were here, Mr. Tucker, I want to talk about three things that you did while you were here in Washington. The first one is the program um, called the New Thrust. Talk to us. What what was the New Thrust program? I believe that you were on special assignment. Again, they put you on special assignment as director of the National Field Services to implement the league's New Thrust program.
2: Yes. Well, in fact, I designed it. Okay. The uh, the New Thrust program. Uh, what we were saying was the urban league had had in the past the urban league had been kind of a mediator uh between the business community or the political community and the black community and uh they all they, the 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 white community kind of looked leadership of the white business community looked to the urban league to help guide them you know to what decisions they should make, but they were slow walking everything. Okay. And the black community was impatient as they should have been. And uh and so what I was saying was a new thrust was that the uh the the general community because the white the the, the Urban League in effect was uh it was uh in the eyes of the black community was, uh, was not moving the uh, community c- closer together and getting things done faster. They felt that the white leadership was using the Urban League as a way to slow-walk everything. Okay, you know? okay. And that, uh, so when I came, I, when I, and my view was, and the new thrust was that that the, that the leadership of the white community need to understand the impatience of the black community. Mm-hmm. And the Urban League shouldn't be standing there as a gatekeeper, trying to keep them apart, to mediate. The Urban League should help the white community understand the pain of the black community, and the black community understand the challenges the white community faced in moving forward. And they need to understand each other's role better in order to find a work way forward. Yes, sir. And that was where I tried to design kind of programs to make that possible.
3: And so in essence,
0: Mr. Tucker, New Thrust was that that, that same frustration that many of those young men and women had when you were in Ohio in, in Akron. It Thanks. sounded like New Thrust was basically you got in, you 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 found a way to get into the Urban League, you and once you got an opportunity to, to take over a leadership position, you were finally able to to execute what you had been what you've been trying to execute since you'd gotten in. I mean, so what what had really driven you to the Urban League in the first
3: place.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. You said it very well. That's exactly right. And here there I was in a position of leadership where I could try to do some, something. And I knew I had to try to help move the old heads in the Urban League. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, because they were used to doing things a certain way. And, uh, and at one time... That was the way to do things. Right. But we were at a different point in the existence of the Urban League, and, and times had changed, you know. Yes, sir. And we had a, a, a different group of young people who were coming along who wanted to change faster and wanted to work at it faster and harder. So that was a great challenge, but a great opportunity at that time.
0: Absolutely, and definitely changed the trajectory of the Urban League because I think, you, as you said, we've always maintained our... Our 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 reputation to be the a, a great mediator and someone who can speak to both corporate America as well as people right. African America in the in the neighborhoods and the streets. But you're right, you absolutely did change from a passive organization which um, we had been accused of being, and maybe rightly so. You you brought a thrust, you pushed us. A, a, we 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 became a real movement. We started moving. A
2: that was it. Yes, yeah, sir. That was it. As a matter of fact. Uh uh, with the with my concept of the New thrust, I was able to raise a lot of foundation money. Mm-hmm. And uh and what I was able to do with it, I must say Whitney Young gave me lots of leeway with it to run the new thrust and to develop it and run it. And I took a lot of blows from many of my colleagues in the Urban League movement because I was challenging, pushing them, pushing them and uh Whitney Young who did uh, Chief Executive Whitney was very smart and wise. I took the slings and arrows, but he knew that it needed needed to be done, and so he stood back, backed me up a hundred percent. Yes, sir. You know, while we was trying to move the Urban League Urban League forward, and Whitney understood the Urban League had to move forward.
0: Mr. Tucker, one of the other things you did while you were here in Washington, and and I know it was important to Mr. Young, it was important for, you gentlemen thought it was important to create a Washington office, or as we know it now as the Washington Bureau, a policy yes. office. Why was that important to you and Mr. Young, to have a, 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 a Washington, D.C. policy office?
2: Well, the headquarters, of course, located in New York, and yet many of the policies and that we were concerned about in the country were for, were political, and from the, and from the government and we so we we needed to have those relationships with the with the White House and with the heads of government, and we didn't have that kind of uh... those kind of relationships. Uh, people thought that New York was the center of things, but that point, Washington, in many respects, was what we were trying to accomplish was we the center of things. Yes, you sir. Know.
3: Yes, sir. And
2: and
0: to this day, our national headquarters is still in New York, but... Uh, President Morial and and his his predecessors since you and mr. young created our Washington office have always been so supportive of this office because as you say so much of what affects African America is not out of New York it's out of the Capitol Capitol oh, Hill yeah. yes sir and and when you I know for you served as an interim director of this office but uh, we we've been so proud that we've been honoring in, in the Washington Bureau the first executive director I guess full-time executive director miss Sonoria Johnson you obviously yeah, knew Miss uh, Johnson can you tell us a little bit about Ms. Johnson. What kind of woman was she and why was she selected to be executive director of the Washington office?
2: Well, Sonoria was uh, I think she was from Oklahoma or somewhere. I'm not sure where she was from. But she had been the Urban League executive. And uh, and when they opened the Washington office, which I helped to open, yes, sir. because the first office of the Washington office was in, located in the Washington Urban League, you know, where I was executive at the time. Okay, and uh, I had an option of, of. Uh, well, for a short while, I, I was the Washington Urban League. Also contained Sonoria Johnson in our building uh, from the Washington uh, Bureau, Washington Bureau. Yes, sir. And uh, and so the. Uh, uh, but we know we needed Washington. And then, of course, it needed, it needed more space than we had in the Urban League for it, and they got their own space in Washington. Right. But we needed that Washington presence of the National Urban League on uh, a national basis in Washington. Nas- or national issues.
0: What type of woman was Miss Johnson? What, what, what was her personality like? We, like I said, we don't know a whole lot about her. We've got a couple of pictures we've been able to dig up, and we've, yeah. not, we've named one of our conference rooms after Miss Johnson. But what kind of woman was she?
2: Well, Sonoria was uh, very, very smart, aggressive in a very unaggressive way, uh, had the ability to get along with everybody, and had some good political skills. So Sonoria Johnson was a good person, a good choice for that office.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, also, Mr. Tucker, one of the things, obviously, that I really want to touch before I let you go, um, that all Americans know about, especially those of us who know our history, I want to talk to you about the March on Washington in 1963. You were the vice chairman of the March on Washington. Talk to us about the March, w- w- why the March, and maybe tell us some of the things we wouldn't know. Some of the behind the scenes thing that went into, you know, it's easy for us to see it on TV now and, and figure it, it, it looked like it was done and, and it was easy and beautiful, but I'm sure you, there was a lot of work that went into that March.
2: Oh boy. <laughs> it was, um, uh, it was a March for jobs and freedom. And, uh, we worked, uh, day and night, uh, uh, to put that march together, uh, there was a national leadership in New York. Uh, the headquarters of the organizations were in New York mainly. Uh, you know, the Urban League, the NAACP, uh, CORE, uh, Labor, uh, those organizations. Uh, but th- those of us in Washington who were part of the, were the ones who did the legwork. Yes, sir. To put that march together, and uh, it was an awful lot of hard work. Uh, I remember coming in one night uh, from we worked all day and planning half the night for the next day to do the march. And I came in, I was dead tired, and my but my little my little child was in her crib, two years old, and she was humming "We Shall Overcome." Wow. Wow, and I felt like going right back out to work again that night.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. That's it. That's, yes. I know. We when we think of the march, obviously now we think a lot about Dr. King and his speech, and and um, but there were other men and women. Obviously, I know Mr. Young participated in the march and he spoke. How did you come? How did the program come together?
2: With hard work, lots of hard work, dedicated, unselfish work on the part of the, uh the, uh the, uh, the, 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 people in New York were the, the, uh, I'm trying to think of his name now, who was, uh, uh, can't think of his name now, who, who was kind of coordinating it all. Yes, sir. Uh, but the legwork was done by the Counterpart organizations in Washington, the Urban League, right. the NWACP, Core, uh, and uh, forget John Lewis's organization at the time. Uh, the, was uh, it SNCC? Uh, yes, yeah, SNCC. Yes, sir. And uh, we uh, all had to uh, lots of lots of hard work. Yes, sir. But everybody in those days was so terribly dedicated. It was, I mean. Uh, it wasn't a profession; it was a calling.
3: Yes, sir. Well said.
2: You know, those up in the movement were there, not as a professional, but as a calling. We were professional people, but with a calling.
0: Mr. Tucker, and, how did you get the word out? You know, today we've got television and and computers, and it's easy to get word of events out. Which um, it, the, back then you didn't have; you couldn't put a tweet out or, or send an email to people. So how did you? How did you get the word out um, to the communities all across America that we're doing this march and we want you to come to Washington?
2: Well, first of all, the whole nation was focused on, were aware of these issues. Uh, it, It wasn't so difficult. If we had a planning meeting around this issue in Washington, all the national media wanted to be there, you know. Okay. So, so the national media did it for us. We didn't have to do much but just just hold the meeting and 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 call a press conference, and they'd be present, you know. Wow. Wow. Uh, so there was so no issue then. Today you got to fight for space, you know. <laughs> right. Right. You, you got to fight to get attention today, but in those days. The issue was so hot, and yes, burning. The whole nation that they was they thought watching. you were having a meeting, and they'd be running to find out what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> Mr. Tucker, tell me about Mr. Young. Talk to us a little bit about Whitney Young. Um, you obviously spent a lot of time with him before the march. Um, you worked with him, and what kind of gentleman was he? I've read his books, and we've watched the 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 power broker the video, um, which gives us a little snapshot. But he was obviously a friend of yours.
2: Yeah. Well, when you say what kind of gentleman was he? That's exactly what he was, a gentleman. Yes, sir. Yeah, he and my families were very close and personal friends. And uh, we were confidants of each other uh, and worked together closely around these issues. Whitney was a man who understood how to use the talents of others. Uh, he was never jealous of his role or of his leadership responsibilities or he didn't feel challenged by them. If Whitney saw in an executive or anybody in the organization as something that he think is good for the organization, Whitney would support it, wrap his arm around it. He was a great leader in that regard. And uh, so if you had leadership, you had an opportunity to exercise it. Yes, sir. And have it respected and get it uh, focused. And uh, so that was, so it made it very nice for me, you know, to be able to, uh, to develop my own skills in that way and my own ideas and
3: yes,
0: my
2: concepts of what we ought to be doing and how we ought to be doing them.
0: Was Mr. Young okay with, and if you, and if you don't know the answer, but was he okay with the fact that he didn't get as much publicity as say dr king and and some of the other leaders? It seemed like uh, just from looking at his, his reading his books and that he was all it was almost okay with being behind the scenes in in, in
3: some respects
2: Well, he was never quite behind the scenes, because Whitney was an imposing personality, a wonderful speaker and extremely well-liked, so he could not be ignored, or he could not be in the <laughs> shadows of anybody. Okay. But Dr. King's image was so large that, you know, you know, no one could get in front of that image. Yes, sir. And, that, and uh, so they all accepted it, but they all respected what Whitney had to bring, what, what he had to offer, what kind of person he was, what kind of leadership he brought. Yes, sir. But they knew that Martin Luther King was Martin Luther King Jr. You know.
0: Yes, sir. Did you and get a chance to spend time with uh, Dr. King?
2: Yes, I knew him personally very well.
0: Tell us a little bit about him, just from a personal standpoint. We obviously know his legacy and have seen his speeches and heard his speeches, and we'll celebrate his 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 birthday and his holiday very soon. And just just did. Tell us a little bit about what what kind of man was he personally.
2: He was a very serious man about what he did. He had a good sense of humor, a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, but he, he never lost sight of his mission. Mm-hmm. He never lost focus on his mission. And that, uh, and so he had, uh, and I've often thought about it over the years, is how in the midst of so much around him, how he could be day. Remain so dedicated to that mission, with uh, so much against him. Even large part of the black community were opposed to him, and wanted him to slow down. You know, and in spite of all that, even though his image over the years now, they've uh, just everybody always loved him. Right, and that was not always true. Not even in the black community. That was not. Always, there were many in the black community wished he would be more quiet and uh, yes, sir. wouldn't be stirring things up. So you know, and uh, what he found was when he was in the South, uh, he was challenged. But he thought when he got to, he went to Chicago in that area. He thought when he came north with his movement, there'd be a greater support for it. And what he found was there was lots of resistance to his movement in the north. In the black community, pretty among some religious people, church leaders, really, who felt their own leadership was challenged,
0: really, wow, I mean, you're right, we don't always we don't hear about that side of it. It seems like he was always loved and had a holiday yeah. and and we don't oh, realize, yes, sir, that he had a struggle, a lot of struggle,
2: Oh, lots of struggle, yes, sir, lots of struggle,
0: Mr. Tucker, and, after uh, the march. Was it a success when, when, when it was all said and done and all of the men and women who had done all the hard work in putting it together? Talk to me after the march. I know what it's like to work hard and and, and receive orders from the New York office to do something. And when it's all said and done, the staff can finally catch its breath or, or go grab a bite to eat or a drink what was it like for the men and women who put the march together when it was done? Did you feel it was successful? Were you, were you happy? Were you disappointed? Is there something you would have done different?
2: I was exhilarated. Yes, sir. And uh, President Kennedy uh, invited us to the White House. Those of us who put the march together invited us to the White House. Wow. Uh, to uh, me thereafter. He says, I've watched it on television. Wow. He says, Instead, of we were, we were wanting to sit there and gloat a while about how <laughs> successful it was. You know, we wanted, yes, to just, we wanted to have a glass of wine or something, yes, you know, and, and talk about it. <laughs> and we got to the White House, and he says, okay, he says, I've watched it on television, it went very well. Now, here's what we've got to do. Wow. And he was talking about the political side of it. So uh, these are the kind of people we got to reach. These are the kind of issues we got to reach them with. And we said, "Wait a minute, Mr. President. Let, let's sit down, and have a glass of wine, and let's uh, <laughs> let's go a let's go to a few minutes, you know." Yes, sir. But he was uh, he was all about business.
0: And you went right back to work, huh, Mr. Tucker? And have been oh, working yeah. ever since.
2: That's, uh, ever since, Mr. Tucker, I'm going to
0: ask since. you. one want a, a, a final question. Um, what advice would you give to urban leaguers young and old who are still in the movement today about what what advice would you give us I mean you've seen the movement inside and out you've retired now and gotten a chance and you know what's going on in our country today What advice would you give those of us who are still in the movement
2: well I, I think that what I would say to anybody in any movement is you You've got to see it as a calling, not just as a profession. It's good for it to be a profession, but it's got to be something you feel called and committed to doing, you know, uh, not because it's a good position to have, or not just as a good way of life. It's because it's needed and it's necessary and I'm called to do it. It's the same as if I were in the ministry. The only way I could be in the ministry was if I feel I'm called to do that, that this is what I've been called to do in life, you know? Yes, sir. And I commit myself to that calling. That's what it requires in in these kind of positions. If we begin to think of them mainly as professional jobs, uh, then we begin to think of it as a job, not a calling. Yes, sir. And I think that that kind of work, uh, my lifetime and all of that work, kind of work that I did, I felt called to do it, you know.
0: Well, Mr. Tucker, it has definitely shown that you you did this uh, more than just for a job or for a paycheck, that you did it because it was a calling. We see it in your legacy. We see it in in your work. We see it in the product. You wrote three books um, for blacks only, Black Reflections on White Power and Beyond the Burning, Life yeah. and Death of the Ghetto. And so, Mr. Tucker, I know you've been thanked Countless times, but I, I don't think you can ever be thanked enough. Just thank you so much for what you've done for our people, for this country, for this organization. Can we get you to come out of retirement anytime soon, Mr. Tucker?
2: <laughs> I think I'm going to leave it to you younger people now. <laughs> well, Mr. Tucker, okay? can I ask you your age? Care, is, yo. is
0: it okay to share your age? Or are you...
2: Oh, you
0: no, know, I'm 95. 95. It, it, it's, yes, 95. Well, we just thank you so much, Mr. Tucker, for everything, and thanks so much for being on our program. And uh, I know I want you to know we love you, and and we think about you often. I, I want you to know that here at, on our team, we talk about you and we talk about our 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 predecessors because it's what you said. This is a passion, and not yes. just a profession. And so we just we we yes. are walking. Um, we're walking on, on in your footsteps, and but we are walking. I want you to understand, we yes. are continuing to move and, and, and walk forward. So, Mr. Sterling Tucker, thank you so much, sir.
2: You're very welcome indeed, and thank you for calling.
1: For this week's Urban League Affiliate Spotlight, we would like to give a huge shout-out to the president and CEO of the Louisville Urban League, Ms. Sadiqwa Reynolds. She represented the entire Urban League movement at the third annual Women's March in Washington, D.C. Ms. Reynolds marched with thousands of men, women, and children gathered for the event, and when she took the stage, she rallied the crowd with, Girls don't run the world, but maybe we should, and that we can change America. Thank you for your poise, your fire, and for representing us well on this international stage. If you would like to learn more about the Louisville Urban League, Follow them on Twitter at U L and visit their website at LUL.org. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at NULPolicy for updates. Be sure to rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Kudos to our production team at PotLife. And thank you for listening to For the Movement, presented by the National Urban League.